0: Have you ever walked just through a a trail in the woods or even down your sidewalk or the street where you live and everything that you've looked at just said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't want to hear the excuse that you don't have time to do these things because you're too busy. Time is one of the great magicians of illusionary resistance. Gremlins know how to manipulate our minds to worry about something that simply isn't relevant to the higher calling. To be prompt and attentive is great, and it holds pure effectiveness to destroy the heart of that evil resistance army. But what are we being alert and attentive about? Are we showing up to shit the bed? Or are we showing up to preach goodness to a child whose home is being held together by mud and straw? What truly matters in the moment when it's survival on your plate? Babies eating trash and walling around naked in piles of broken glass. Six by six rooms to hold a family of eight. Despite poverty, the look of the party is immaculate. Perfect clothes, perfect smiles, energetic understanding, gratitude, celebration every time the sun rises. It's not something everyone in the village gets to see again. Beauty shines brightly in the most simple situations. Happiness is alive in those who have nothing. So why are we so uptight? Why are we so unhappy in an area where we have so many things? You got to go internal. You have to find true self-love and gratitude. And sometimes that can only happen if you remove everything from your life and you hit the bare bottom. Be thankful for your position no matter where you are. There are people that are doing 15 to fucking life for minor weed busts. Something that's completely legal and they're still in jail now. And we're sitting over here whining and skeeting in our pants because we have to drive our cars to work at 9 a.m. where we get to browse the internet. And probably take nice dumps and clean bathrooms on company time. Then we complain that we have to drive all the way back home, where we sit and binge ice cream, watching Netflix all night. Think about it. What are you truly grateful for? Hold on to it. Love it. It may not always be there. Memento mori. I am Heath Armstrong. This is Never
1: Stop Peeking. It's depressing like a dimple on your butt! all your schmuck friends piss their pants. Get up and dance, rocket ship that booty. Take a chance for your freedom. miggity milk that booby. Cause when the fear attacks, it tries to crack what you're thinking. Fuck no, you'll never stop peeking.
0: Heidi Ho. Ladies and gents, boys and girls, and everything in between. You can't know what you don't know. One of the quotes that were dropped in this episode, and I like it. Joy and butterflies ravage my body. I mean ravage my body. Like a teenage schoolboy, a schoolboy. Kissing his first girl, or boy, or whatever hybrid you like, whenever I talk to Mitko Karshavsky. I hope I'm even pronouncing that right. I've had a lot of practice, and my Bulgarian isn't on par still, but Mitko, or more commonly known as Structured Daddy, is the perfect combination of a loving mobster and a nomadic genius, all wrapped up in a package that even the highest, the highest of royal snobs could not ignore. The sex appeal is out of control. Whenever he's around, I feel like Sandy at the end of the movie Grease, and I just want to put on all my black tight clothes and flip the bird to the rest of the fucking world while I speed off with him into paradise, living happily and dangerously ever after. Now, while everything I just said is 100% true, it's also important to point out my sincere appreciation for Mikko and his journey. You know, he immigrated to the United States from Bulgaria when he was super young. I think 11, 12, somewhere around there. And he spent much of his time exploring uh, the world since then, discovering... A lot of things. Trying to find a place in between home, which we talk about in this interview. Um, Spending a good portion of your childhood in one place and a good portion of your childhood in a completely different place, it can feel offsetting. And we dive into that. But what he discovered was that really all humans are connected no matter the culture, the preferences, or the locations. Home doesn't actually have to be specific. It can feel like everywhere. Everywhere. And what if everyone in the world felt like the world was home? What if we all stopped pushing each other away and realized that we're a lot closer than we think? How would things be different? So I had a chance to explore Bulgaria with Mitko late last year, and I've never been so hot and bothered in my entire life. Fortunately for him, I mean, like, he's very lucky about this, He's got a foxy, American, soon-to-be wife who set very clear boundaries about what I could and couldn't do with Mitko. So I really wasn't allowed to infiltrate much. But nonetheless, because of my comfort level with Mitko, we were always able to have real, no-bullshit conversations about deep topics and meaningful causes. And in this episode, it's no different. Like We get to dive into hypersensitive topics such as the COVID-19 pandemic, sex trafficking, human slavery, um, and really living as a strag, which can be tough as well. And we also explore the future of remote work as an alternative to the traditional corporate office life and the importance of having a creative direction, because we all need that. And I love talking to Miko. I mean, he's like, he just, he gets it. And he doesn't take shit too seriously, but you think he's super serious. So he's got this like kind of like vibe to him. where You just kind of just want to rip his shirt off. Um Yeah, so all the show notes, HeathArmstrong.com forward slash podcast. And the trip that I was on with Mikko in Bulgaria was a collaboration with Ian Hoyt, who was on a a previous episode about Life Nomading, so you guys can go check that one out. And, yeah, I'll link that in the show notes as well. So, if you want to enter this week's giveaway, it's heatharmstrong.com forward slash giveaway. And you can enter to win once, and you'll have a chance to win every single week moving forward. So, yeah, check that shit out. I'm not going to fuck around too much. I'm going to get straight into this episode with Mitko because it is a heavy deep conversation and I appreciate it. And I hope that you are having a lovely day and always remember to touch yourself with inspiration and motivation. Here we go.
1: Come on, everybody. Let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody. Let me hear that stickity stickity rickety- dickity beat. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Spring. one
3: of my one of my best friends and one of sarah's best friends they're both mm-hmm. medical students that are in their like rotations so they were in hospitals when all this shit happened. and like even my friend was like they actually they both have been sent home since because they're like there's like get out of here you know like let just the doctors kind of like work kind of thing but um my friend said i, I was just talking to him yesterday and he said that it was a little too little a little too late because he said half of the people he was in rotations with now have tested positive so of course what do you expect yeah it's crazy
0: but well you know where you you got back i mean you were you were in iceland right when it all started mm -hmm. going down and then you got back pretty early on
3: um a couple weeks ago maybe yeah we were fortunate that um our tickets to come back were already, like, I think two days after that ban came into place. So we didn't have to, like, like reschedule plane tickets or anything like that. We already had everything set up. Um, but I know that a lot of people got, you know, like kind of screwed. They had to, like, pay thousands of dollars to get tickets to come back. But, yeah, we finished up our two-week quarantine at the end of this week. So um, And then now we're looking for an apartment to get here in Cincinnati because... Unfortunately, I don't think our lifestyles are very friendly to what life is going to be like for the next year. So, yeah. I mean, I figured you might be there, just
0: like watching and learning every bit of wisdom you possibly can from Deutchen. <laughs> um, no,
3: we're uh, no, we're getting our own place.
0: For so. the people listening that don't know who Deutchen is,
3: are you recording this right now? Oh yeah, uh-
0: <laughs> Mitko. Has a father who is probably the one of the greatest legends of all time, and the dude's like always just doing like upside down handstand pushups and, uh, on the top of a skyscraper overlooking some horizon. And then Miko just like eats cheeseburgers, and I can't, I can't. And a lot of things skip a generation, right? Like your parents might be pessimistic, you become optimistic, and I guess in this case, you've just got this straight playboy, like. Probably mafia god boss, and then his son, who's more of like a you know world travel nomad, uh, more on the light side, right? So, yeah, man, he's a- uh,
3: can can you believe it? He's fifty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, dude, I can. It's actually insane. It's insane yeah. to me. I, I that blows my mind, and I uh, it kind of leads into topics though, because I really want to talk to you about travel and and like everything that you're doing. It's been interesting. We haven't had, I mean, you and I, we've known each other for a while now, but I don't think we've ever really had any like, deep conversations about your your upbringing and how you got interested in this. So you're you're from Bulgaria, obviously.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Hence Nobody the crazy know. name.
0: Yeah. And like I've spent some time with you in Bulgaria, which was awesome. And Ian was on this show who was also out there with us. He was on a, a few episodes back. Uh, you guys can check that out. And together, you guys were working on the project, Life Nomading. You were kind of helping him do the Bulgaria leg of the trip. And we had a blast. And uh, in that trip, I also went to Romania for a couple of days. Um, it was fun, man. It was, it was good to see the beast in its wilds habitat. Uh, you were, <laughs> you know, I, I could never figure out why you dress the same every single day until I realized that everybody in Bulgaria wears the same thing every single day. And it's just black, you know? <laughs> It's like all black. And um, it was some good stuff. Like I I, I found before I left, I realized that like all the clothes that were colorful were like no longer being worn. And I had just worn my pants with a black t-shirt every day for like five days. So I wouldn't stick out so bad.
3: (laughs) Well, you know, the, all the black wearing has something to do with the fact that and it's not just black, man. I wear different colors, but I do stick to that like color (laughs) palette. You don't. Funny enough, <laughs> no. I'm wearing black right now. <laughs> uh, but no, it's just, uh, I think it's more like travel friendly. Like, you know, if you have like a bunch of crazy colors, you kind of need to think more about it. I tend to focus on like, like n- not a lot of patterns, but yet kind of like more, I don't know, this, this sort of color palette so that it's easier it's for easy. travel. And it just yeah. so happened that everybody in Bulgaria, yes, wears a lot of black. There's a lot of black <laughs> in the country. So that was so just does everybody in San Fran too, though. Oh really? I mean black Patagonia. It's
0: like it's like yeah. I mean, I think in Bulgaria it's a little bit different of a a thing. It's just kind of like the thing. I mean, it's not you know,
3: black looks good. Black looks it's Eastern great. Europe, man. You know.
0: Yeah. So we could talk about all of that stuff. I mean, most importantly, I, I really want to get into obviously your nickname is structured daddy. There's probably some really deep reasons to this. Um, conversations to how you came about the name Structured Daddy and why a large part of the world refers to you as that. But I think the deepest root of our conversation has to come down to like kind of your intense experience with living the lifestyle of a Bulgarian immigrant stragg. And um,
3: it's... Okay, we got to <laughs> touch on this whole Strag thing, first of all. <laughs> I have no idea. I had no idea what this meant until this past summer when you came to Bulgaria. Hey, you're not going to deny. The, hold on. Hold on. Let me let me finish my thought here because you're going to like this. So I had no idea what this meant until you came to Bulgaria. You told it to everybody. I was like, no, this is just some bullshit Heath came up with. This is insane. And then we spent January and February in uh, Mexico where one of our really good friends there, Nathan, who, who's gay, uh, mentioned this he didn't call it stragg. He called it something else, but gave that definition. And as I've always told my friends, I always tell my friends, listen, there's one thing you need to understand about Heath. 50% of the <laughs> things that come out of his mouth, you're going to immediately write off as bullshit because you cannot believe them. But then like a year later, you're going to be like, wait, holy shit, that was true. And like, yeah, you realize it blows it's your brutal. mind because everything... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: I know it struggles in my relationships because like even like friendships or whatever, there's a lot of things that I say and like, I have to live for months with people thinking that I'm just telling them lies all the time. Yeah, I'm like, no, I'm being serious. And like one of my truths is like, don't lie, like tell the truth. But Strag's a real man. For anybody listening, what we're talking about is Mitko. He's obviously (laughs) trying to deny it right now, but there's been some pretty strong Strag evidence going on that I've witnessed. Uh, Maybe been a part of, but I, you know, there's, there's, there's guys who date girls, there's girl, there's, there's, you know, gay girls who date gay girls. There's bi girls who date bi girls. There's gay guys who date gay guys. There's bi guys that date bi guys. And then there's this thing that nobody likes to talk about, but it's actually just, I mean, when it's a girl side, like a straight girl having sex with another straight girl, everyone's like, oh, that's cool. But in reality, there's this whole other spectrum and it's just straight dudes who pound other straight dudes and they're not gay and they're called, I have no idea where you think this came up for me, but all right. (laughs) (laughs) And basically, I mean, because both parties are not gay and they really aren't that attracted or anything like that, they're just performing, you know, they're just doing it to do it kind of like a hobby thing. Uh, You know, two positives equals a positive, two negatives equal a negative. So two straights equal a straight. And
2: it's just, a, your
0: math. it's fundamental science, you know, anybody sure. who doesn't believe me about strags can Google it. They'll find definitions and it's very secret society and it's covered up a little bit by people like Miko. who there is a strong rule. And I, I will tell you, cause I've been on the meetings for the board of strags that <laughs> it, you're not supposed to talk about it. You are supposed to deny it's kind of <laughs> like a Mason society. And the biggest thing is because they don't want infiltrators and an infiltrator is somebody who comes in and they might be gay. And if you're a strag and you have sex with somebody who's actually gay thinking that they're strag, it actually makes you gay for life. And that terrifies some people.
3: So, <laughs> well, again, good, thing I, uh, good thing I'm good thing. I was born in Bulgaria and I can't run for U.S. office because if this ever gets picked <laughs> up, <laughs> I'll make it very clear, like Miko and I have all the love
0: for any type of sexual orientation. Absolutely. My family is full of every type of sexual orientation you can imagine. And yeah, you know, it's it's just something that needs to be brought to the surface and to allow those who are strags living in fear to know that they're not alone.
3: And I mean, I my thing is a poster uh,
0: child for that.
3: My thing is uh, be whoever you want to be and just, you know, I think it's, uh, it's so sad and like I, I know people who on a more serious note, who are homosexual or something like that, whose entire lives have been ruined by the way other people judge them and treat them. And I think that that's all just absolutely terrible and and blows my mind that in the 21st century, that's still something that's like an issue for people. And yeah, it's just, dude, you know, you know, Michael
0: from Li. Um, I'm not sure his last name. I think there's several Michaels, but probably, but it's M Y K A L. I know that much. He lives in Portland. He's a, anyway, he's, he's a good friend of mine, close friend of Mm -hmm. mine. And he basically gave up his life and just, so he does, uh, he works with people's hair and he was doing like high profile hair styling and things like that making a lot of money. And he's also uh, gay and he was being harassed a lot by people that he was like, he told me one story where like some dude, like ordered some food while he was doing his hair and then told him he was going to fuck his ass with the mayonnaise and all these things that were traumatic happened to him. And then basically, and again, all of us have traumatic experiences, of sexual things. Like even when I was little, there are, I mean, I came home one time to a report. My mother, my mother was crying because there was one of my sixth grade teachers had me on his molestation list. And we had to go through the whole process of exploring that. Um, Yeah, for real. And what does that mean? It means that he, he admitted to molesting me, even though I don't Jeez. have any recollection that it, it wasn't anything intense. But like, I do yeah. remember the guy like touching me and stuff when I was in class. Uh, he, he admitted to like a hundred and something students. Holy crap. And he was a paraplegic and like, it was just an interesting situation. But Michael actually, dude, he gave up his entire lifestyle. He basically gave up what he had built his career out to be and went to Thailand and he started volunteering for a nonprofit that would help clean up and give new identities and looks to people that were victims of the sex trade. And he came mm. back and told me, was That's like, great. I know. And, and it, when he came back, he told me, he shared something with me because it was when I was in Africa and I've shared this through my email list before um, a, a story, which has been a lot more of the stuff that I've been sharing lately. And he said he was working with some guy and this guy was like a 50 year old straight man. And his entire life, I guess from the age of like 11 or 12 until like pretty far into his life, his parents pulled him out of their home and put him up for prostitution to bring in money because lady, like young lady boys was a high profit prostitution thing out there for trafficking. He had siblings and he paid all of their ways through college he was put out as this straight, he was straight and he was forced to pose as a lady boy and have sex with men for money. And his entire life, he was doing that and living through it. And Michael was working with him. Um, and when he told me that story, it was like, basically there was still hope, you know, and this guy was still like moving towards discovering himself and understanding that a lot of these things that we get conditioned or put into, like we, you and I, and like a lot, we can't even fathom what that would be like. Right. And all it comes down to is everybody having this ability to, to learn that there's unconditional love flowing in and out of all of us. And if we are strong enough to get to a point where we can love ourselves, then we stop judging other people. We stop criticizing other people. We stop caring about what sexual orientations are. Like who the fuck, like it is absolute madness that it's even a conversation anymore. Like who the fuck cares? Like you like what you like.
3: Right. Insane. Well, you know what, you know, what blows my mind is, and um, I can't give you like the actual reference of where I read this, but it was this article that was talking about how um, like human slavery is still, not only is it still very much a thing, it's never like, there have never been more slaves in the world. And like, and then the thing they mentioned in that article that totally like matches like my thinking was that, listen, I went through school. I learned about slavery in the US and then I thought that it was over and it was over. And I understand that probably there was like some stuff going on, but I never understood that it was like, it has never been bigger to the point where in this article, they talked about that they have proof of where there's still human slavery going on from like satellites that they're taking pictures. Can you imagine how much of like an actual activity there must be for you to be able to pick it up with like satellite images? yeah and it's like, and I think don't quote me on this, but I think the number of something like forty million people around the world are still like like slaves, and it like yeah. things that us in the western world like are like thinks it's like a it's a history lesson, you know what i mean it's
0: it's, it's like horrible I mean, it's a problem everywhere you're getting we're dealing with big, big issues, and you're talking about sex trafficking, you're talking about mm. child sex trafficking, you're talking about organ um i don't know what the correct term for organ harvesting harvesting yeah yeah which is an ungodly dark rabbit hole to go down but is, oh, there yeah. needs to be awareness around it right um people with a lot of money paying and basically uh i'm not even going to go you guys can look that up on your own i'm not going to talk too deep about it but, but
3: that's a, that's what's so tough right is that there is so many things that you want to fix in the world and you know, it's like you sit down and like most people go to work every day. They have children, they have a family to take care of. Maybe they have what, like 30 minutes or an hour of their day to focus on like world issues. And you almost have to like, it's it's a terrible thing to say, but you almost have to like compartmentalize and say like, okay, what is my thing? Like, what is the thing that I'm going to work for? And the thing that I'm going to like fight against and the thing that I'm going to like, the cause that I'm going to give my money and my time to, because like, There's just it. It can almost be overwhelming if you, like you said, you go down that rabbit hole of all the shit that's going on. You know, Um, it. You know, like how how does like a regular citizen like sit down and kind of like think through all these issues and 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 figure out like how they can help? Generally, we don't. We we are stimulated by so many fucking devices
0: that we're constantly taught that we can't even sit and listen to ourselves in our heads, man. That's what we were talking about earlier. It's like Mm -hmm. the the scariest thing going on in the world is is this COVID thing to Mm -hmm. the, to everyone that's looking at it, right? There's a lot scarier things that are happening, but the problem with being scary isn't necessarily that this thing can come and kill you. It's that we're afraid to sit with ourselves mentally, but what is that coming from? And if you dig really deep into that, it's actually coming from this just fear of death. Everybody is scared of dying and I'm working on a, a video about this right now, but why are you scared of dying? And why is this built into our heads to be scared of dying? Because it makes you fear everything. It's like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be around that person because it might take everything I've ever known away from me through death. But if you actually think about what death is, it's the most beautiful thing that we could possibly know because it's the only thing that gives life purpose. And it's the only thing that reminds us to live with purpose and pure intent in every moment and to work towards something better. We have all these situations going around, around the world. And like, when you talk about slavery like that. I mean, that, like that's legit forced slavery, but I was talking to my chiropractor the other day, super wise man, spent many years in the Eastern world studying all sorts of different types of medicine. I mean, I'm talking like all sorts of different types of medicine and he was, he made a really good point to me. He goes, you know, Heath, with slavery happening in different parts of the world and in this is crazy because you mentioned it too. And like I think these are the only two conversations I've had about somebody talking about slavery and other parts of the world. He goes, it's actually happening right underneath our nose everywhere. He goes, look at blue collar workers. He goes, look at the minimum wage and look at what happens when you have to live on government poverty or welfare and you're working minimum wage jobs. You have barely enough money to be able to feed yourself. And all you're doing is working all day for the benefit of something greater than you. And you're barely able to take care of yourselves. What is a slave? A slave is somebody who's doing that and generally being fed and kept alive to be able to continue to work because that's the value, right? And it's not that much different. And like corporatocracy has kind of created that in our country, which is fucking crazy. If you think about it, you start looking and you're like, oh my God, like, a lot of us only see these like kind of middle of the road, middle-class jobs where you can actually have some freedom and you're kind of in control and you can move around. But for a lot of people, it's not really the, uh, it's not the reality. I mean, a lot of people are very much stuck in a loop. Like they can't, they're, they're, they're underwater. They're just trying to keep their neck above water to survive. And it's just getting worse and worse with the more money that the federal government is pumping into the economy to try to fix things. It's just causing inflation and it's causing more separatism and it's, it's super scary, dude.
3: Well, and I mean, like you're. I mean, I agree with you. I've seen, I've, I've heard from people who, you know, like whose, you know, like great grandfathers, like were actually slaves, and they're saying like you can't make that comparison. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you can't. Yeah. But I, I understand. I understand both points. I think this is one of those things where it's like we're both trying to say the same thing, and like each, each side understands each other. But I think that you, especially what you talked about just now, like you definitely. I'm not saying that there is some, like, grand master plan that's, like, you know, wants, like, more people to, like, you know, have children so that there's, like, more taxpayers. Well, you know what I mean? Like, there's, like, some crazy conspiracy theories out there. But the way that, like, to, you know, touch on, like, the COVID stuff right now, like, the way that, like, the U.S. specifically, like, some of the, like, ways that there's communication being put out there that, like, you know, we shouldn't be on lockdown because, you know, like the the economy's going to drop it's it's you're literally putting the gdp and the growth of the country over the health and wellness right. of like <laughs> and and it's it's shit like that that makes exactly what you said like ring very true mm-hmm. you know it's 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 all about just like the growth of the and that's why i was you know not to get political here and like but like andrew yang was one of the people who i thought had like some really interesting points where one of the things that he said is like when are we going to, and I believe it was him that said this, um, I might be wrong, but I think he said, you know, like, when are we going to stop thinking about just GDP growth being the thing that we go after? And actually, like, the wellness of that GDP, like, how healthy is it? Like, what are the jobs that we're providing people? Are they actually good jobs? You know, all those things. Um, Because it's like, what is the like, like, constant growth? Like, what, what is the like, I don't. That doesn't. Like how how much? Like when? Like how far do you grow? Like to? Yeah, if like There's it no just quality. Then what? Does right. It make and if difference? you're not thinking about it, like if you're just like growing to grow, it's almost like somebody who is like addicted to food that is just eating to eat, not to like sustain themselves and like to eat nutritious foods. Like you're not really thinking about the quality of what you're putting in your body, just like eating more. You know. So.
0: Yeah. You lose sense of your purpose, the reason that you're here. He did turn to me and, and he smirked, like so, making the comparison of like this totally horrible type of slavery plus this kind of like metaphor type of slavery they're both a type in some way he, he looked and he said but you know we're all here and we all are living in interesting times and we're supposed to be here because if we weren't we wouldn't <laughs> we wouldn't be mm-hmm. and I was like yeah you're right we all have a purpose like that it's just we're all here to do something to work towards that and although there's a lot of fear and resistance working against us to try to keep us from fulfilling that purpose. It's really important that we keep moving towards it and keep trying to find out ways to move that resistance out of the way. So I've been inspired by you, man. I, uh, I've watched you kind of blossom for years now, you know, and oh, thank you. I meet certain people and I, I can see a spark, right. And I can see a lot of how I was and how I still am. Uh, and I kind of just know that things are going to work out and, and they're going to grow and you're definitely one of those people. And so it's been cool to watch all the things that you've been doing. You're very personable. You're very good with Thank just you, talking you. people socially, although you're a little bit of a structured daddy, uh, <laughs> and you have, you know, incredible sex appeal for being a Bulgarian sex God and all that. Uh, the people that you hang out with, And Sarah and Caroline and Ian, like everyone is so fucking humble and amazing and just like good, good people. And I very much so do not surround myself with people who aren't meeting those, those uh, categories because it can be toxic for me. And I'm Mm -hmm. a very sensitive person, uh, emotionally and energetically. So what did, when did this start for you, dude? Like what were you, like you went, so you met Sarah when you were in college, right? In Cincinnati When, I know you had done world travel, obviously, because you were from Bulgaria a little bit, but when did you start to think like, I'm going to start creating a lifestyle where I can do this full time. I want to be a nomad. I want to be able to help other people learn how to do this and start actually moving into the fear of what that could mean.
3: I'm not sure. Um, And I've thought about this a lot because I think that there's been certain events in my life that have almost like primed me in some way um, to at least think differently. Um, I mean, like you mentioned, my dad growing up, my dad was a a very strange character, even in, you know, post-communism, Bulgaria, he started one of the first non uh, nonprofits in bulgaria that was taking european money and actually trying to like help out the city that i grew up in which is called varna which i'm sure we're going to touch on later um, but he was kind of always surrounded by these like very weird but interesting and inspiring characters who gave me almost like you know like i think a lot of people grow up having people around their life who are like accountants or doctors or you know and all of those professions are all very important and you know like very worthy in their own way but like I don't know. I just like, there were like people who were like sailors and like divers and like they had this like crazy ass stories and it was just always very interesting to me. Um, like, like just different professions and ways of, of putting together a life. Um, and then definitely another really big thing that I think primed me for what I do now is the fact that I did move. uh, I did immigrate from Bulgaria to the United States when I was 11 years old. And The reason why that was so important was because it happened at a very, like I was conscious enough as a person at 11 to have already built myself up as like, hey, I'm Bulgarian. You know, here are the values that are important for me as a Bulgarian, but then move to the United States and almost develop like a whole new identity. And what happened was that in the U.S., my thing was that I was the Bulgarian guy, right? Like everybody was like, <laughs> oh, you know, Miko the Bulgarian kid. You know, that's how, that's how yeah, everybody knew me. Of course. But then when I'd go back to Bulgaria, I was Mikko the American kid. And uh. so from a very early age, I was almost like, I, both were home, but none of them were home. And so now with like our nomadic lifestyle, like that almost like, like, like the world's home. You know, there's no, there's like, I love all places and, and I've, I call a lot of different places home now or that I get like homey feelings from. But um, I think that that definitely had a lot to do with why I decided to kind of like, or, or why I ended up taking this sort of turn in my life.
0: What was it like coming over at 11 years old? I mean, was it hard for you to sustain friends? Was it, I mean, I, dude, I remember like when I was in high school, there were some kids from Russia and that was exactly what everyone did. Like, Oh, the Russian guy, like, yeah, yeah. They were actually kind of scary in a way. <laughs> I think everyone was just kind of scared.
3: Um, Russians tend to have that uh, <laughs> effect for some reason. Yeah. But it just, I can imagine
0: being as, and I, and I guess when anyone says I can imagine, it means that you really have no fucking way of imagining what it would be like. You just wish you could. Or you're trying to understand how it would be to imagine. But in your little MITCO body, you know, you obviously had a giant bulge then, you have a giant bulge now. But maybe nobody was really noticing that yet. So maybe they were. Um, <laughs> it's so, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> how 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 did it affect your perception of like why you want to do these things in life? Like, did you start thinking then um, as you thought, okay, it kind of makes me feel like the whole world is home? Was that what kind of is that what you were trying to get at? there? Was it it kind of primed you to being like, oh, well, I should just explore more of the world because it seems like everywhere
3: kind of has similarities. Everywhere has differences. Um, I don't know if I was like self-aware at 11 to be able to say like, I'm going to be doing what I'm doing now. Um, I definitely always wanted to travel. Uh, I had books that I was like reading since I was very young that were like Jack London and like Thor Heyerdahl, who wrote Contiki, which if you've never read, it's fucking amazing um oh yeah it's about this guy who like builds a raft um from like 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 the ancients would have and tries to prove that the uh polynesia was settled by like like south americans dude it's it's absolute and he like How does do it k o n space t i k i it's a book and there's a movie and the movie's pretty decent actually but um it's an amazing story, but I kind of grew up reading these sorts of stories. So I definitely always wanted to travel and like see what was out there. But I was also always like a really fucking weird kid um, in terms that I like was, I had a very wild imagination, um, but I never took action on it. I was always too afraid. I didn't have the self-confidence to take action on any of my like crazy little ideas, no matter what they were. And it took a while for me as that imagination went from, you know, the way that I was playing and the games I was inventing for myself in order to like stay, um, you know, entertained while I what well, didn't speak English and all this other stuff. Like when that transferred into entrepreneurship, I had a lot of ideas and business ideas, but I never really took action on them. And, and that kind of took practice. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question there, but um, there yeah, that's mean. kind of, yeah. That's kind of how I like, you know, essentially like what life was like and how that like transferred forward. So what are you doing now? Yeah. So at the moment, uh, you know, I have my website, That Remote Life and my podcast that's called That Remote Show, um, where I talk about remote work and I just interview location-independent entrepreneurs, people who run remote teams um, to learn from them because I really think this is the future. Um, I think- yeah, like I just think there's no way that the world doesn't become more global, when you know, like we don't start using the resources from all over the world instead of like our small communities. Um, so that's really exciting for me to just hear those stories and to remain on that fringe. I think that's a really exciting place to be. You know that that's where all these new ideas and and all these new new things that are coming up they're coming from that fringe. Um, and so I try to stay as current as with that as possible, and then you know I have my job um, for a web development agency and marketing agency where I serve as the head of operations, and our team is remote, and so it's it, it gives me a really good ability to take all of these things that I learn from the podcast from, from from all the people that I talk to and immediately implement them in our remote team, which is fifteen people strong, and to actually see how they work okay yeah. um, so that's kind of where I'm at at the moment that's cool it, it's what you're talking
0: about that that whole collective coming together is so true and i think everybody being forced to be at their homes right now with covid is interesting because you realize this is something that's going to be really big for what this subject is everybody's realizing that they can still do your, their job at home you know like mm-hmm. i'm sure there's nobody like companies are having to figure it out, but I think what is a lot of companies might be scared of, but it's it's good in the long term is like all of these employees are going to realize that because of computers and cell phones, you can do almost all of your job at home if you're not a hands on type of service. Um, of course, you have to have meetings, but those can be done virtually. But if you're not like working physically with like industry or medical or like something where you actually have to be in front of people, possibly in-person therapy stuff like that there's a whole lot of different categories you start to realize that yeah we can do these things from home and also it saves a fuck ton of money like there's so much money wasted and time wasted in everyone's life by being ha- having to commute to an office having to stay at the office all day even though there might only be 3 or 4 real hours of work that get done and there's a lot of studies out there that you can go down rabbit holes of of showing like actual how much work time is is when somebody's actually at work, how much work they're actually doing. And we've all had jobs. and We know none of us can say, I 100% fucking bust my ass at work the entire time I'm there. It's just not true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. It's not true. But when you're at home, it actually shows you that you can be <clears throat> much more productive um, because you want to get that stuff done as soon as possible. It's just a question of how far are you willing to go? Is Are you going to do the minimum viable thing that you need to get done so you can dick off the rest of the day? Or is it actually going to make you more productive because... You know, there's some sort of incentive maybe, or because it just makes you happier being at home and you're more likely to, if you're doing something that you love, accelerate. If you're doing something that you're not love, then it's probably more of like that. Okay. I'm going to do the minimum amount and maybe uh, dick off somewhere else, but it saves, you know, office space, real estate. Like there's so many things tied into it. It's just crazy.
3: Well, so the the COVID stuff and the way that this, um, you know, pandemic is forcing people to work from home is really interesting because it can have, um, I actually think, two two effects. One is that, like you said, people are going to realize and companies are going to realize that they can do this remotely and the, the employees will be happier because they're at home with their families. They don't have to drive an hour back and forth, you know, from their work. Um, and then, you know, companies will benefit from, they realize they don't need to pay for that 40,000 square foot fucking office, you know, and all all that overhead. But one of the things that I keep telling people, because I've actually heard from a lot of people who are saying that they have been working from home now for, you know, a week and they absolutely hate their lives. And the thing that I, I keep telling them is this, what we're doing right now is not remote work. This is you quarantine and being told to stay inside your house and not be able to enjoy a lot of the benefits that remote remote work actually creates for you. I myself, you know, this is driving me crazy too. I love going to co working spaces and coffee shops and interacting with the people there and, and and taking in you know that space while I work. And now I'm I'm stuck in an Airbnb, right? So, and 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 then the other thing to talk about as well is that I think running some, if you're a manager or you have a company that you're now being forced to work remotely, you cannot manage your team remotely the same way that you manage them in person. It just does not work. And I don't think that enough companies are actually taking the time to educate themselves right now on how to, um, pivot and to manage their teams now that they are remote because this they they believe that this is just you know momentary you know it's not a long term thing and and I've I've heard a lot of like horror stories of like where people are being tracked like their mouse movements are being tracked and if they don't move their mouse every couple of minutes you oh, know dude. their pay is getting docked like oh yeah that shit's insane and that is not how you manage or re- like like that's not how you do a remote team um, insane so you know and and I think. <laughs> <laughs> like that's the issue is like where this could backfire is that all of these companies and these employees try out remote work in this setting for two weeks, a month, two months, however long this takes. And they're like, nope, that sucks. I don't want to do this while actually, you know, they're not experiencing the benefit and they're not being managed the correct way to, to truly understand how beneficial this can be.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, if I'm, a, if I'm working for someone, my morale, if my morale is high, I'm mm-hmm. going to do better work. Being tracked constantly makes me not like or have trust with the company, which makes me not want to do my job as well. And it was the same even when I used to work concrete construction, like they had a tracker on my truck and I fucking hated it. It's mm-hmm. not that I wasn't going to get my job done or do the right thing. It was just like, why do I feel like I always have to be driving just because they have a tracker on my truck when all this driving is unnecessary? I could be doing this just as efficient somewhere else. I've got lots of friends who are tracked on their computer when they work. and. Like when I work with my team, I don't do that. I don't like a lot of these, like even these remote sites, if you hire virtual assistants, they turn their screen recorder on so Mm -hmm. you can watch them working the whole time. And like, I refuse to do that. I trust. And I think it gives people freedom and it makes them work better and they show up and I haven't had any problems. But I've got friends who literally like, they are very smart people and would be extremely valuable to work for, um, for a company. And they have to, because it does that to them, they're like, okay, well, I just set my computer up. I'm wasting power. I'm putting my cell phone on the enter button on a spreadsheet so that it shows that the spreadsheet's moving so that it shows that I'm being active. And it's like, it's like, what a waste of time that you have to do that, even though your job's still getting done, but it's creating this disconnect between you and the company. Like it doesn't fucking work. But when you were talking there, I thought, I don't know. Have you ever thought of moving into Uh, teaching companies how to manage their remote workers, since it seems like something that you're getting a lot of experience with?
3: So that's definitely a direction that I'd like to go into. Um, The issue is that I don't wanna be be one of those um, guys who, you know, watches three videos on YouTube and talks to two people and then is a, is a guru in remote work. Like, I actually want to learn things from some of the smartest people out there. Um, yeah. Do it, you know, actually be a practitioner of it and then communicate um, what I'm learning. And, you know, it's opportunities like this to, to get to, you know, communicate a little bit of what I've learned. Um, but actually uh, to, to make just, just a point on what you talked about there, because the tracking itself can actually be beneficial. This is something that I talked with um, Liam Martin from Time Doctor. Uh, He actually runs one of these softwares that that does one of these things. Yeah, we use that. And it's in the thing with Time Doctor and the thing that they do, you know, is that, you know, to, to show how big of a nerd I am here, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And when you're given the power of being able to track and see all these statistics and all this data on how your team works remotely, how are you then going to use that power? So there's a lot of people who take the easy route and they check, you know, is your mouse moving every five minutes? Are you, you know, are you, you know, going over to Facebook for three minutes? Like all this stuff and then like almost kind of like immediately like slapping the hand isn't going to work. The way that Liam and their team at Time Doctor actually uses it is to put together huge data models. And they don't even track per time. None of their people get paid per time. It's all about, hey, are you getting the things done that you know we all decided you're going to work on, you're going to shoot on for a week. And then what they say is like, okay, well, you didn't hit your your goalposts. Well, based on our data, we can see that you worked 15 hours this week, right? While somebody in your same position worked 20 hours and they were able to hit it. So then maybe it's um, you know, it's it's you know, you maybe you need to cut put like another hour to, um, behind the computer to be on track. And they use all of that data to actually help their teams grow. You know, it's none of this like wrist slapping bullshit of like, cause I also yeah. don't believe that like 40 hours and putting eight hours, uh, behind a computer is like, like <laughs> the, madness. yeah, it's like the, Oh, you put in your eight hours today. You did a great job. You know, no, like you can probably put in a better job because you're more efficient with three hours. That doesn't matter. Like you get your shit done. That's what matters. Right, it's the outcome that matters, not how many hours you put behind it. Um, So I think there's a lot of smart companies that are using those sorts of tools correctly uh, and intelligently. But unfortunately, uh, in these sorts of situations where companies are being forced to do this very quickly and adapt very quickly, and not actually learn how to use these tools and these metrics, that's when you get into trouble. Where you have bad bad managers um, not using them correctly.
0: Ah, and you know a lot of these people that are not using them correctly are just probably being taught incorrectly themselves you know, it's chain reactions.
3: Yeah. It's old managers who are used to the, um, this is who you see it a lot with is, is, is the, the corner office managerial status where you can, from your corner office, right? Look across the cubicles and see, all right, who's in front of the computer? Who's the water cooler, you know, flirting with like, you know, their coworkers, <laughs> this kind of stuff. And the, what they're trying to do is, is almost transfer that in a remote setting. And that doesn't work you need to when you're working remotely you need to have a lot more trust in your team you know no micromanaging cuz even the smallest amount of micromanaging feels huge when you're doing it in a in a in a remote setting um, and that can be hugely demoralizing if you mentioned. so yeah i think as you know m- younger and younger people start getting into these uh, management positions we're going to see uh, a hel- a healthier way of using remote work and, and managing remote teams but unfortunately, at the moment, it's difficult for some people to, to make that directional switch.
0: Oh, man, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. It will come. There's yeah. a lot of ideas that Yang has that are brilliant. And they're just a little bit too futuristic for the current system to hold yet. Um, and but inevitably, it's like it's what's going to work. And a lot of the other things that we're dealing with just don't work. They don't well, work, man.
3: They might come to the US slower than in other countries, right? Because True. Very um, true. The same way that startups can outmaneuver large companies because they're smaller, they're, you know, they can move a lot quicker, make this Decisions quicker and, and, and test different decisions the same way smaller countries can test things quicker than large countries of the u.s like you'll hear from countries like estonia right that is doing all these e-residency things and like you know allowing digital nomads to get residencies there and like start their businesses and hold oh, their cool. European bank accounts there like that's huge you know you, the country of georgia and central asia is is doing all of this really cool shit right now with um, um banking and like you know uh, they have a free co-working uh, system for any entrepreneur who wants to go over there. Like, they literally give you like free co-working. Um, so there's a lot of these smaller countries who need to be more creative with their, um, with their resources and how they uh, you know drive their GDP. Uh, instead of like, you know, the US who has lots of resources is very established. So look to the smaller countries, look to the countries that maybe don't have as many natural resources that are getting really creative with um, a lot of these uh, technologies. So um, they might be happening elsewhere in the world, but they'll eventually move here, you know, in like a 100 years. So
0: <laughs> I, I thought it was really cool when I was in before I met you out in Bulgaria. Um, I was in Madrid for a little bit. And I went to a farmer's market, and I shit you not, some of those farmers at the farmers' market were accepting Bitcoin as payment. Think about that. yeah, that was like the biggest sign to me. I was like i'm a, I'm a bitcoin advocate. I, I love cryptocurrency. I, I love everything that it represents, but you don't see that here anywhere, and that kind of removes the trust factor with it, which can make it devaluize you know all of this stuff. But when I see in a different country. I'm like, this little farmer has a sign that says that they accept Bitcoin. I was like, Holy shit, dude. It gave me so much more trust. I was like, wow. Like what if, what if that was happening everywhere? Like it's just, it it seems like it is. And even in Africa, when I'm down there, like there's a lot of really incredible technological ideas that they're using, um, to adopt certain things that, that are kind of remarkable, man. It is kind of remarkable things. We think that everything comes to, the U S first because of like Hollywood, but no, dude,
3: it's not true at all. Well, and it comes down to, again, like, that's why, like I said, I love hanging out with people in the French because, you know, I have a friend who is definitely one of these people who has been out in Thailand for like years and hangs out with lots of these interesting entrepreneurs who have crazy ideas. And, um, he was telling me that back when Bitcoin was just getting started, somebody kind of explained it to him, sat down at a cafe in Chiang Mai and explained it to him. And he put down like, what is the equivalent of now of like no money into bitcoin is now a shit ton of money in bitcoin Um, and that's because (laughs) he hung out in the fringe you know he got these ideas he got these concepts early on enough so that you know he could play with small money and have big impacts and when you hang out with new ideas and people who have new ideas and creative you know what nine times out of ten they're batshit crazy they might not work but all it takes is that one idea that you pick up on early and you're like oh you know so, yeah, I mean, farmers in, in Spain, you know, there's companies now online that um, I don't know if you if you've ever heard of like Empire Flippers or Justin and Joe from yeah, over there. For sure. You know, they you're able to buy for people who don't know. It's like a, it's like an online business marketplace where you can sell or buy a business. And I mean, they accept Bitcoin, right? Yeah, why not? So um, I think more and more of these things are going to happen. Um, you're seeing uh, Bitcoin ATMs now in some cities in Europe, which is really cool. Um, yes. so it's, you know, all of those things are going to move in slowly. What's your favorite part about traveling? You know, it's, um, this is a realization I've been coming to over the last year is that the travel thing is starting to wear off in a way. Um, I, I think, uh, Mark Manson had this amazing, um, thing that he said, you know, it's Mark Manson, right? The, uh, um, what's his book? The subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah, yeah, there you go. That's. I was just making sure there was the right person. I didn't want to give the wrong person um, credit. But he had this thing about he talked about how your 10th country doesn't impact you as much as the second, right? Um, And the 100th country doesn't impact you as much as the 10th, right? It's that it's the value of those new places kind of drops off uh, the more places that you go to. And I think that I've kind of hit that place. But the but the reason why I continue to travel is because the, the world is huge. And if I just sit down here in Cincinnati where I'm at at the moment and I say that I'm only going to communicate with the people around me and those are the only people that are going to impact my thinking and my idea generation, all those things, I'm leaving 99.99% of the world you know, like I'm separating myself from it. Uh, And so I continue to travel because there's so many cool communities out there that serve people with different ideas. And that's what really drives me is, is the people who do what we do and getting to hang around with them. And like, you know, you and I will go to Bulgaria and we'll hang out there for three months working on something. And then we'll go to Mexico and there's like, you know, an interesting group of people there working on something. And so now I'm traveling much more for the community that those places serve and not so much for, the locations themselves and obviously like i'll take you know maybe there's a place in the world that i've always wanted to go to but even now i'm trying to even with that i'm trying to base it more around activities like maybe i really want to go snorkel in, you know like cancun or something i don't know but i'm kind of trying to to be more conscious about what i'm going to do at that location and not just like oh let me go here to look at some museums and you know stuff like that yeah there's some Really
0: interesting issues going on with the Yucatan down there right now. And I watched this documentary, it was fucking terrifying, dude. It was because of the infrastructure and then the, the way that they set up trying to hoard or or trying to maintain the mass explosion and tourism, they've all been, just been draining human waste and sewage into the cenote really? water table. Mm-hmm. and you have all these different, I mean, it's used as marketing, right, in all the tourist areas, especially, like, Tulum, and, like, you have all these cenotes that are beautiful, and you, they're very pure, and many of them still very much are pure at the top level. But these do, this documentary, these two divers went down into the water table, and it's basically an underground river that, mm-hmm. that leaks into all these different cenotes. Um, and they, dude, it is horrifying it's just covered. The whole thing is just hmm. full of human feces and waste. Wow. And you can't like, they're just swimming around in it with these cameras. And it's like, Oh my God. And like all of these cities are built. Like if you go there, you'll see really quickly. It's like, please don't put toilet paper in the, in the toilet. Like, and what that is causing because of the offset in the, I guess the microbiome of the, the river or the environment in itself it is causing the ocean to be
3: completely overgrown with algae. There's something happening there, and that's why. How is that connecting? Because cenotes are freshwater, so how is that connecting with right? the ocean? but
0: there's some way that eventually freshwater drains into an ocean, mm-hmm. and right there where it's draining into the ocean, that's where they're having all these mass growths of algae. And I'm not sure the exact way of it's connected. You guys can mm-hmm. look up the rabbit hole in this; it can go down many different levels. But this documentary is so ghetto too. It's like. I think there's like a real one somewhere, but I was watching like somebody who like filmed it from like their computer and then like put it back on YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but dude, they answer a lot are, of these questions.
3: They're dope, man. I was oh. in Mexico for two months this oh, year dude. and it was, um, yeah, we did uh, Merida, which is the capital of the Yucatan. And then we did, um, we went all up and down that. But yeah, man, those cenotes are, uh, that part of that part of Mexico is amazing. So beautiful. Yeah. I know, and I'd hate for it to continue to break
0: down because of, a lack of the care for what's going on underneath or in nature, which seems to be a problem all over the world. And right now oh. we're getting a brush of fresh air.
3: Yeah. Well, we went to um, Bacalar. Have you heard of Bacalar in Mexico? No. It's like, um, it's it's south of Tulum towards the Belize border, but it's actually on this freshwater lake that, has this type of stone that I don't know what it's called. I can't remember what it's called right now that actually produces like calcium and oxygen or whatever. So it makes it like really like the water is like super clean. It's absolutely mind-blowing. It's so beautiful. Um, But even there, they talked about like, you know, these stones are living living creatures. And if you touch it, something about the bacteria on your hands or whatever, it will actually kill them. And so there's this whole thing about you cannot go in there, you know, with like normal... um, sunscreen lotion you're not supposed to touch these stones all this kind of stuff you know you can't bring in your drink in the water all that kind of stuff and even though 99 percent of the people are are saying that we still saw people who are way less careless who are going into the water with like bottles and stuff like that or are walking on these stones and you know that's the thing is like they're trying to be so so conscious and and the it's it seemed like the community is really trying to communicate this but there's still people who don't care you know so um it's really sad because we hope that it stays as well conserved as it is now, but who knows?
0: Dude, that's the same with coral reefs, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of those, if you touch them, they die. Yeah. Um, so when we were down there, and, and I was actually supposed to be flying to Mexico on April 5th, and I'm really bummed that I can't do that uh, yeah. for many different reasons, but I was swimming in a cenote with Nate and Cassie. Oh, yeah. Luck, Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, I
3: was hanging out with him down there. Did they tell you
0: the story about when we went into the cenote by any chance? I don't think so. So Nate, we went into this fucking incredible cenote like at night and we're like down and they've got like lights. So it kind of like glows in the cave or Mm -hmm. whatever. And for anyone who doesn't know what a cenote is, if you Google images, you'll see how beautiful they are. But they're basically these water tables that are like the freshest, cleanest water. And um, they've been worshipped by many of the ancient tribes down there and in, Places where a lot of spots where they were actually doing, uh, I don't know if sacrifice is the right word, more so as like giving or offerings. They would put a bunch of things down in these cenotes as offerings to the gods. Um, well, Nate jumped in and he lost his wedding ring. And like it came off his hand. And like, so we're in the, you know, it's probably, I don't know, six to seven feet of water maybe. Um, because it's pretty deep. As soon as you jump in, right? It's not yeah. like it's a bank or anything, and you can't really see. But they have some light in. In the water is so clear that you can kind of see through the water. So you can see the bottom of where you're at, but you can't like you know opening your eyes underwater to look is a whole nother story. Mm-hmm. And so we were all spending all this time like diving down, <laughs> trying to it's find it. My, yeah. my friend Nate, or it's Nate and my friend Money Shots with me, and you know we're we're all down there like, we're going to be the one to find. Everyone's thinking like, I'm going to be the one to save the day and find it or whatever. And then a guy working there is like, oh, we have some, uh, some goggles somewhere I can go get if it'll help you. So he went and got these goggles. We're trying the goggles, dude. We can't find shit. Then out of nowhere, this random dude, who was just a native down there, pops up out of the water. We didn't even know, like there was nobody down there, dude. <laughs> and he has the ring and he's like, here it is. And he hands it to Nate, and then he just gets out and leaves. And we're just like, where did that guy come from? Like, yeah, It yeah. was absolutely insane. He was like, like these, where... these stupid
3: Americans, let me show yeah. you how it's
0: done. Yeah, like, where, where did that guy come from? Like, it was so crazy. It was a goosebump experience. Like, oh, yeah. my God. But, of course, Cassie and Nate were very happy about that. <laughs> I'm uh, sure, yeah. So,
3: well, dude, we we're running a little bit uh, out of time. I could, man, it felt like 10 minutes. Um, always fun to talk to you, man. Yeah. I got to uh, like I mentioned, you know, we decided that we're going to sit tight in Cincinnati for a little bit, you know, so we are actually going to go look at an apartment here in a little bit. So yeah.
0: Cool. Well, I'll leave you with one more question. What, what, what's your Instagram, by the way, for people? Uh,
3: it's, uh, it's Mitkoka, M-I-T-K-O-K-A. Um, it used to be my last name, but then I realized how bad of a marketing plan that was with my last name. So
0: you have one for that remote life, right? Also,
3: I don't actually, Okay, no, I don't. Gotcha. I need to, you're holding it all down. Um,
0: what makes you happier than anything else in the world? And it cannot be a person.
3: That's deep. Um, I'm going to say if it can't be a person, I'm not going to cheat and say a group of people, but I would say probably um, <laughs> like, like a, a, a very creative goal. You know, I, I had a little bit of time in my life when I was kind of struggling with depression and the reason why I realized that I was in in that setting is because I didn't have that creative outlet. I didn't have that target, that goal of something that really scratched that itch in me. Um, and I think that any time in my life where I feel sad and I feel, you know, without like things happening, like somebody passing away or something like that, but just general long terms of, of sadness and and that kind of stuff. And, and, and low energy as well tends to come from a lack of direction or a lack of clarity on a goal, a uh, lack of action on, on something that's creative. And, and I think having one of those things in your life, uh, will make everything else happier. Your relationships will be better, you know, all that kind of stuff. So
0: if, if somebody out there was listening, who doesn't know how to find their creative direction, do you have any advice on simple taste. things to do? Taste,
3: taste everything. Try like, like, just like you, you can't know what you don't know. You know what I mean? Like I had, like I had an idea of what I wanted my life to look like. And I imagined this life where I had a business or something and I was able to travel and all this kind of stuff. And then I listened to enough podcasts where I finally heard the term digital nomad, you know, and that was Pandora's box. So you, you, the same way that they tell people who I learned a little bit about this. I'm not normally a wine guy, but I met an amazing guy who taught me a lot about wine. His name is Rafa. He's an amazing dude out in Portugal, but that's the thing that he talks about, right? Is you don't know how to describe wine unless you've tasted enough things to then be able to recall that and be able to describe the wine in that way. So, um, I would say taste as much as you can in little pockets (laughs) of time and just see which one, you know, scratches your itch the most.
0: I love that dude. I do. That was, that was great. Well put.
3: Well, I'm, I'm glad. Uh, thank you for having me on the podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm hoping that this wasn't just a, a complete, uh, blabbering of two guys, you know, like. (laughs) Dude, this was a really good show.
0: Actually. I have the list of topics that we just covered and it's deep shit and it's really good and I'm excited about releasing it. So. I, I really appreciate it. I would have never guessed that we would have flowed through what we did, but that was a really good conversation.
3: Yeah, man. Sure. Thanks for uh, always fun chatting with you and, and getting to uh, you know catch up with you.
1: There's a place called space and it's got the magic. There's a place called space and it's got the balls. There's a place called space and it's got the passion. There's a place called space where we can smash the wall. Space fuck conformity and the chatter of inconfidence is slaughtered at birth. In this place called space, we'll build a factory, as buzz that will assemble with our minds and sell to Earth.
2: I accept my body. I accept my body in my dreams. I accept my hair. I have healthy, shiny hair. My hair is growing in a healthy way. I love my silky, shiny hair. My hair is easily manageable. My hair grows longer every day. I deserve to look and feel fantastic. Oh, hello, this is Todd. I was just doing my hair affirmations for the day to strengthen my beauty mindset all the show notes are at heatharmstrong.com forward slash podcast and you can leave a review on itunes or whatever platform you're listening on and it helps us so very much and we like to do a donation to the school in uganda every time we get a review so thank you and also i just wanted to say if you haven't entered the giveaway, it is at heatharmstrong.com forward slash giveaway. And you should do that because you might get a sweet free affirmations deck. Or you might get something kinky out of my bottom drawer. It's up to you, toots. Ta-ta.